In part two of our series on the DC Sniper, we follow John Muhammad and Lee Malvo as they embark on their plan to kill six white people a day for 30 days. We'll cover the events from December 2nd, 2002 through December 24th, 2002, including the murders, the FBI investigation, and what led to the arrests of Muhammad and Malvo. We'll also discuss the court follow-up and look at what became of both men. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If last week's practice murders were any indication, stick around. Part two of this heinous crime spree is only going to get worse. This is Necronomapod. At 8.12 a.m., an Indian man gassing up his cab. Minutes later, at 8.37, an Hispanic woman sitting reading a book on a bench outside of a restaurant. The young lady that I just seen about five minutes or ten minutes ago off the bus was laying right there and it was just terrible. Just over an hour later at 9.58 a.m., another single bullet, another victim. A woman cleaning her car at a gas station. Altogether, six shots, five apparently random victims within 16 hours. Police are stopped. Nothing like this has ever happened in Montgomery County. Uh, this is a very safe community. Uh, our homicide rate just increased by 25% in one day. So we were just talking off air, and I think it's going to become a reality almost. Are you guys going to finally allow me to upgrade my chair here in studio? I think we're considering it. I put in my time. <laughs> Paid your dues. <laughs> Won't it affect your tailbone operation, though? Well, I ask it a specific. It'll be a custom-made oh, chair okay. for my right. tailbone and spine. Um, but yeah, well, that'll be exciting. Yeah, I need a new chair, too, so I guess we'll let you in on it. Yeah, And go for a three-pack? Sure, why not? I guess we would like a three-pack of chairs, please. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your finest model. You'll have to do a new uh, YouTube video once you get it. Update everyone. Be great. Yeah. People will love it. They were very upset when they saw the chair I used in studio. They were very concerned <laughs> for me. That's comfy enough, I guess. You drink enough uh, Diet Millers, you know, you can't yeah, feel anything. Of course. Did you guys listen to a lot of meatloaf this week? No, but I have been craving meatloaf. I'd much rather eat it than listen to it. That music's horrible. (laughs) That damn pal. All week, meatloaf, meatloaf. I haven't heard much. Hmm. I mean, I don't really listen to the regular radio or, yeah. Not a meatloaf fan, Dave? No, it's it's awful. I don't understand. Okay. It's horrific music. Is it better or worse than Prince? I will say better. Oh, worse. You think it's worse than Prince? Oh, I think it's better than Prince. No, no, I think Prince is better, <laughs> but I actually don't mind meatloaf. Like, I don't think he's great, but he's all right. Mm. I like Prince though. Like I'm not, oh, I don't, I don't hate Prince or anything. I don't really love Prince music. Um, that's stupid shaped guitar. Get the fuck over yourself, like, pal. The guy is a fan. He was a fantastic musician. It's just not my cup of tea, but I give him all the credit in the world though. He's way better than fucking meatloaf. But meatloaf, <laughs> but meatloaf was a pro wrestling fan. Oh, well, you know. Bonus points. The greatest thing Meatloaf ever did was bitch tits, not the music, right? <laughs> yeah, or Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, that's all I can all think right. of him from. I can't. I couldn't tell you a Meatloaf song to be honest. I just know I don't like it. Do we all enjoy Meatloaf the food? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's delicious. Now you're talking. Meatloaf sandwich the day after. All right. Now you're really talking. I feel you. Cold. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. I'll be going home tonight uh, <laughs> post-recording and be ha- having a delicious cold spaghetti sandwich. There you go. So, you know, it is what it is. If I had meatloaf, I'd slap that on there, too. <laughs> meatloaf spaghetti sandwich. <laughs> the ultimate. 
Why not put one of those frozen burritos in the microwave and throw that on there? Maybe on the side. Now we're getting ridiculous. You mean to tell me spaghetti on top of meatloaf on a sandwich? That'd be delicious. Of course it would. I don't see how that wouldn't be bad. How could it not be? And then I would sleep for 13 hours. I would love to sleep for 13 hours. (laughs) Sounds great. Should have a spaghetti and meatloaf sandwich. (laughs) All right. Well, that's, I don't know. We went on a, a tangent there. I wasn't expecting, but. Dave and Ian hate meatloaf, the singer. Awful. Who would you put below meatloaf? Brooks and Dunn. But now you're just being ridiculous. You're way out of line. And I would argue you might put Brooks and Dunn ahead of meatloaf even slightly. Below Prince, ahead of meatloaf. Uh, you know, Maybe. Depends on the day of the week. What about Garth? Your favorite. Oh, awful. Longtime favorite of yours. Who sings the I Got Friends? Garth. Song? Garth. Okay. Yeah. The most overplayed song, maybe, of all time. What's more overplayed, that or that fucking Kid Rock all summer long song? Ugh. The one where he samples Leonard Skinner and fucking uh, Warren Zevon, the Werewolves in London. Is that what it was? Yeah, well, that's what he sampled. Yeah. Do you know that song I'm talking nah, about? I can't even think of that. But... You would know it if I played it. It yeah. was just, it was. And there was drinking and fucking something like yeah. that, right? Something like that. It's not yeah. good. Doesn't sound good. No. But anyway, it's still, <laughs> it's not. It's still played. Like, I feel like people use like radio stations. That's like the official song of summertime. Mm. What was that song called that he came out with not long ago where he's riding that middle finger rocket? It's so ridiculous. It's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. I refuse to watch it. It's so stupid. I won't, I won't see it. What was that called? I don't remember. I don't remember. I've never seen anything like it. Have we seen, <laughs> have we seen Kid Rock without a hat on recently? Mm. I'm betting he has a skullet now. You think so? He's got like a, a Hulk Hogan skullet going on, I bet. He might be right. His hair was pretty thin all the time yeah. anyways. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm hypothetically-ing here. He's coming to Cleveland this summer. Maybe we can we can go and get backstage and find out. I already got tickets. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> Brooks, I don't. Brooks and Don opening. <laughs> Please. He would be opening for them, Dave. <laughs> Show some respect. All right. This took so many turns. That was an interesting opener. Yeah. So much hate in, involved in that one. Meatloaf and Garth and Kid Rock and Brooks and Dunn. Hmm. It's not going to get any better with the rest of this conversation tonight. It is not. Not a fan of these fellers. Ian, where we leave off. Where we left off, Hong M. Ballinger was shot and killed from one bullet that went through the back of her neck and exited through the left side of her jaw on September 23rd, 2002. This was the last murder that John Muhammad instructed Lee Malvo to commit before John felt that they were ready to carry out phase one of his plan. If we remember phase one, like you said in the intro, Mike, that it was to kill uh, multiple white people. They end up straying from that path. A lot of the people that they end up killing here are not white people. No, not at all. Yeah. Why was that? Or is that something we're going to get into later? Targets of opportunity, I I think, mostly. Yeah, I think this kind of just turned into uh, the shots better on that person. Didn't matter if they were white or not. And I suspect the stated plan was not actually the plan. Yeah. So you think they they bullshitted after the fact? Like kind of... Or he bullshitted to him to get him go along, but I think there was uh, other underlying things he was trying to do here. I think we'll talk about it later. (laughs) So phase one of that plan was to meticulously plan, map, and practice their locations around the D.C. area. This way, after each shooting, they would be able to quickly leave on a set path and move on to the next location. 
to make their getaways, John purchased a blue 1990 Chevy Caprice and modified the trunk and the backseat area so that Lee Malvo could take shots from the trunk without ever having to fully open the trunk or exit the vehicle. On October 2nd, 2002, at 5.20 p.m., Phase 1 kicked off with a gunshot through a Michael's Craft Store window in Aspen Hill, Maryland. There were only a few people in the store at the time, and no one was injured. Police were called, but there really wasn't too much to do other than take down the report. And the thought at the time was something like a drive-by shooting that missed and ended up going through the Michael's window. That bullet probably hit a bunch of glitter went everywhere, Mike. <laughs> You hate glitter. Death penalty, right? No, don't even get me started. Just went straight down the whole glitter aisle. Can you imagine? (laughs) Like, you know those old... cleanup (laughs) that would take? Because, like, a broom and a mop, it's still going to be sticking on the floor underneath. You're not getting that up. You just now have a glitter floor. That's what it is. I knew he'd be more aggravated with the glitter than the homicides are going to... We didn't talk about a homicide yet. You don't know that. I'm just saying right now, you got me fired up about a glitter. It's like slow motion sniper bullet. You just see it go through like multiple bottles of glitter. Right. <laughs> Who the fuck <laughs> invented glitter? Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck them. I'm telling you right now. Put me in an octagon with that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> About an hour later at 630 PM, 55 year old James Martin, who was a program analyst for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, was shot and killed in the parking lot of a shopper's food warehouse grocery store in the city of Wheaton, Maryland. No one saw anything, and James didn't have any enemies in life. He was described as a really nice, loving guy that just kind of stayed low to the ground and did his own thing. Police investigating the shooting again thought that there was a solid chance that this could have been a stray bullet that hit James. There's no reason why this guy would be would be picked out. These attacks are going to ramp up. So there was no question that they were committed by the same person. And they all took place in that Aspen Hill area, along with a few other nearby areas in Montgomery County, Maryland. The next day on October 3rd, a little after 7.40 a.m., 39-year-old landscaper James Buchanan, who was known to all of his friends as Sonny, was shot and killed with a single bullet while mowing the grass at the Fitzgerald Auto Mall. At first, witnesses in the area thought something had happened to his lawnmower, like it backfired and a piece of it shot off and hit him. Police and paramedics showed up pretty quick, uh, but it still took them 20 minutes to actually figure out that Sonny was shot. And that's not a knock on, on paramedics. That's just how long it took them. And they're so random, and a lot of them are to the chest or stomach area. People didn't know what happened. It's just like they're all of a sudden hit. Like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, right. And they just started bleeding out. I think people, I from that documentary, it sounded like some people thought even his lawnmower might have run him over. Yeah. There were multiple oh. 911 calls, and all of them said something happened with the lawnmower. Yeah, right. And it's, it was a big lawnmower. It was, it was like more of those ones that you see guys riding around on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the stand on the back kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. That'll yeah. fuck you up. You get run over. Well, it wouldn't be pleasant. No. Isn't that in the, there's a scene in that movie. I always forget the fucking name of it. It's the one I really like with Ethan Hawke. Sinister? Sinister. There's the scene <laughs> with like the camera on the front of the lawnmower as it's going mm. through like the yard. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. It's a terrifying scene because it's so loud and you're just thinking like, oh, this lawnmower is going to do some fucking damage nope, to some people. Nope. Man, that's a good movie. It really is. At 8.12 a.m., Prem Kumar Welker, age 54, 
who worked as a part-time taxi driver, like something to make extra money, was shot and killed. On this day, he was getting some gas at a mobile gas station in Aspen Hill. He was planning to go home after he got gas to get ready for celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary that evening. After Prem was shot, he was able to stumble over to a minivan that was parked at the pump next to him, and the woman driving happened to be a pediatrician. So she called 911 and was trying to do CPR to save Prem, but he died. I was sitting at the gas station this week and just thinking about what it'd be like to look over and a sniper took the person next to you out. Terrifying, right? What do you do? Do you try to help? Do you duck? If you try to help, aren't you thinking that the next, there might be another round coming in? I think you duck first, maybe wait a second and then run over. Yeah, that's Mm. crazy. At around 8.30 a.m., Sarah Ramos, age 34, got off the bus at Leisure World Shopping Center in between working as a babysitter and a housekeeper. Sarah walked over and sat on a bench nearby and started reading a book. At 8.37 a.m., she was shot and killed by a single bullet. That's what I'm talking about, what I said last week about how you have these th- these thoughts of the future, just even immediate future, you know, the next day or whatever she's going to do. Right. Sitting on a fucking bench. And it's just over. This time there was a witness who said they saw a white van or white box truck pull away from the scene. They said this vehicle pulled up near where Sarah was sitting and sped away after she was shot. At this point, police put out a be on the lookout for the van or truck. And things were starting to come together a bit that this might not all be random. This is the one I believe the people in the store thought it was a suicide. I think they mentioned that in the 911 call. They thought she just shot herself because she, you know, they heard the shot and she just slumped over. Yeah, because that's what, what you would think. Right. You don't think that someone's 100 plus yeah, yards right. away sniping. Yeah. At 9.58 a.m., Lori Ann Lewis Rivera, age 25, was shot and killed while vacuuming her Dodge Caravan at a Shell gas station on the corner of Connecticut and Knowles Avenue. Lori had just dropped off her kid at daycare and stopped off at the gas station. Then they stopped for a while, and at 9.20 p.m. that night, 72-year-old retired carpenter Pascal Charlotte was shot while walking along Georgia Avenue in Washington, D.C. He was rushed to the hospital and died about an hour later. So in a 12-hour period, five people were shot and killed by a single shot from a significant distance away, and the only lead the police had was that a white van or white box truck was seen speeding away from the scene where Sarah Ramos was shot. We've talked about eyewitnesses not being great and the media kind of running with things in past episodes, and this is no different. Mm -mm. I think it just comes down to there's white work trucks everywhere (laughs) all the time, and, you know. Yeah, you see those all everywhere. They're everywhere. So when the first person, you know, brought it up and said that, you know, they, they might have been driving away or whatever, and it just propagates, and then everyone starts seeing white, bo- white box trucks. Well, and then you, you might see a U-Haul. It's a white box truck. So then it just kind of grows into, like, this thing, That's and, you it. know, you see all these different kinds of vehicles, and you just associate, oh, it's just a white truck. As soon as people see it, then that's what they're thinking. That case in D.C. that you just talked about, there was an interview with a police officer in D.C. who had an eyewitness that spotted a blue Caprice driving around the corner with their lights off at night. And he said that no one up in Montgomery County listened to the tip. They didn't want to hear about it. So there was a tip on the Caprice early on here that they just kind of ignored and stuck with the white box truck thing. It's also tough, though, too, when you're getting so many tips and then you're on this white box truck thing 
that you would might maybe think, oh, that's not relevant. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's something weird, but that's not what we're looking for. Sure. They're getting thousands and thousands of tips. I'm sure it's almost so, impossible. Yeah. To go I'm not making excuses, that. but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, there's going to be things that fall through the cracks. Unfortunately, of course. after Pascal Charlotte was killed, Montgomery County police chief Charles Moose held a press conference because like we were just talking, they put this together and this wasn't like it was a high crime area. Charles Moose says at the press conference that the county's murder rate went up 25% in 12 hours. Also at this press conference, Chief Moose said that all surrounding schools were code blue, meaning that kids were to be kept inside at all times. And parents started driving their kids to school instead of letting them walk or ride the bus. I would have been scared to even send them to school, you know? I would not yeah. leave the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> you are now homeschooled. <laughs> you don't leave the house anyway, so it's not a big stretch. You talking to me? No, Ian. Oh, I was like, I would never leave the house. (laughs) Oh, you wouldn't? (laughs) Well, what's he going to do at 4 a.m.? His raccoon buddies are going to miss him. (laughs) And you were talking about um, all the tips coming in. Like, they set up a tip line thing, uh, center, basically overnight. And the amount of wires and networking going on in that building was fucking intense and as soon as they turned it on just thousands of calls started coming oh, in jeez and ridiculous ones i'm the sniper yeah just all kinds but, but of that's what i mean shit. like yeah. you're just you're you're expecting one person to to be able to figure it out when sure. when you've been you know told a white box van oh a blue caprice uh, okay thanks pal yeah. no let me get to the other 900 calls it's unfortunate but it, i get it I always go back to thinking about Son of Sam when people are calling in like their loan sharks and shit saying that when they owed him money saying like, oh yeah, this guy's Son of Sam. <laughs> By a couple days. <laughs> the FBI also started work on a profile and this is a case where they were uh, dead wrong on who they were looking for. They were putting out kind of like the classic serial killer profile, like a white male, younger, mm. you know, 20s to 30s you know reserved yep disenfranchised with life you know stuff it definitely didn't fit the profile Mm-mm. the next day on october 4th around 2 30 p.m carolyn sewell age 43 was shot in the chest in the parking lot of a michael's craft store as she was putting stuff that she bought into her car the bullet went through her diaphragm damaged her liver lungs and broke a couple ribs but carolyn survived Assuming this is a different Michaels than the one uh, earlier? Yes. Carolyn couldn't give any eyewitness accounting, and no one else was coming forward with anything credible besides the initial white van or white box truck. Three days later, on October 7th, Tanya Brown was driving her nephew, Iron Brown, age 13, to school at Benjamin Tasker Middle School. Tanya didn't even get out of the school parking lot before Iron was shot with a single bullet to the stomach area. Tanya was a nurse, so she was handling the situation extremely calm and collected. You can hear her on the 911 call as she's driving Iron to the hospital. This bullet did significant damage to multiple organs in Iron's body, but he ended up surviving. This changed the scope of the investigation completely. At the press conference for this shooting, Chief Moose basically said, like, you've crossed the line. Like, all the victims are innocent, but now... You shot a kid trying to go to school and we're going to find you. He also got a little emotional and teared up as he was saying this stuff. And he got a lot of criticism for this, which I think is unfair. 
Yeah. A lot of media stuff like drug him through the coals over him tearing up. For being a human being who had emotions and feelings. He wasn't like sobbing up there. He was sternly saying what he had to say and he was tearing up a bit. I see. Uncalled for. Yeah. No problem with that. The doctors in the documentary describing what a bullet like that does to your body. I never really thought about it before. And then when they went into detail about how it goes in and then cones out and talking mm. about like the damage it does and the pressure it exerts on the yeah. tissue and everything. Yeah. It's pretty fucking crazy. I can imagine what that feels like. Part of the investigation was figuring out where the shots were coming from and authorities were really good at pinpointing where these shots were probably fired from. Just there was no evidence left behind. However, this time investigators found that the shot was fired from a slightly wooded area about 150 yards away, and there was a shell casing and a tarot card left behind. The tarot card was for sure meant to send a message, and investigators felt that the shell casing was left behind on purpose as well. At all the other shooting locations, the shell casing had been picked up. The tarot card was the death card, and at the top of the front of the card, written in blue pen, were the words call me God on the back of the card. There were three lines of wording again, written in blue ink and they read for you, Mr. Police code. Call me God. Do not release to the press. You in the tarot cards, Ian? I think they're interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think they're cool. I like the pictures. The artwork is very cool. Yeah. I don't like to fuck with that stuff though. Yeah. You believe that stuff. I don't, I don't fuck around with that. Yeah. Like, I would never, even though I don't believe in, you know, fortune telling and all that stuff, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with it just in case. I kind of put that in the same level as like horoscopes. Like, eh, it's like a, like a fun little entertaining thing. I don't put much stock in any of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember it or have ever seen it, but like the fortune telling place in Parma. It's just like this. Isn't there one like every four, four blocks? (laughs) I just remember the neon sign lighting up. It's like this. It looks like a straight up hole in the wall. Angie always tried to talk me into going in there. She does tarot card readings. It says mm. on the neon sign out front. <laughs> and I'm like, like, it sounds fun, but no. I think I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, and it's like in a little plaza, but it's like yeah. the smallest fucking spot in that plaza. Windows are all like draped <laughs> with weird, weird, uh, uh, like carpets and curtains in the window and the neon sign and beads on the door and all that weird shit. It'd be entertaining to go do that. I wouldn't take it seriously. It's like, I don't think that the time of year you were born dictates your personality. No. I saw a news article that said that that's probably all wrong. I think it was on, it was one of the science things that I, that Are I we, like looking at. Aren't we because all Capricorns here? I'm an Aquarius. You, but like by like a day, no, yeah. isn't it like the 19th or 20th of January? Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, but that, there's something about like the way the planet, like things have shifted over time that none of that is accurate anymore. Probably <laughs> that's fine. You don't say, <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I would say is if those fortune tellers could read the future, wouldn't they just be buying lottery tickets? I mean, hmm. instead of making $10 reading your palm, it's the sa- one would think it's the same reason like people like Ernest Angeli aren't employed at hospitals. To heal people. <laughs> Could you imagine <laughs> Ernest Angeli at a hospital? Hey, <laughs> he's fixed. That's it. Doctors like fuck hang up their stethoscope, <laughs> walk out. 
maybe I'm sure I'm sure there's a reason behind it with the tarot cards. Like it, you have to, it, it only applies to like other people and like you have to be in the room for them mm. to show you. I don't know, I'm sure they have some kind of fucking kayfabe well, thing. Tarot cards aren't like an exact thing. Like Sylvia Brown saying that she can see things. Tarot cards are just, uh, it's kind of like a rough outline maybe. Mm. Like if you pull the death card, what does that mean? It's interpretation. Mm. I guess it would have to be, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, still, like I don't want to fuck with it. I don't want to sit there and mess right around. now pull out a card and be like, Mike, in two nights, you're going to be shit faced when we record the bonus episode. <laughs> like, motherfucker, he's right. <laughs> God, how do you know? That's a rough outline of pretty much what's going to happen in a couple nights. <laughs> Boom, nailed it. <laughs> so the tarot card said, don't release this to the press. But someone in the police department decided to go into business for themselves and leaked this tarot card to the media. Then WUSA TV made it public, and then the Washington Post took it nationwide. This case has more leaks than our recording our show with all of Mike's pee breaks. <laughs> it's a lot of leaks. <laughs> Is their length as sustained as mine, though? Probably not. It'd be hard to do. On October 9th at 8.18 p.m., civil engineer, 53-year-old Dean Myers, was shot and killed while pumping gas at a Sunoco gas station in Prince William County, Virginia. Again, people around the scene said that they saw a white van and authorities at this point were pulling over white vans and box trucks, but this didn't do anything in the case. I mean, number one, we already know that it's a blue caprice. We talked about that already, but like you said, Dave, there are so many fucking white vans on the road. You're going to waste, you're going to spend all your time doing this. Sure. Not possible. And the police weren't publicly saying that they didn't really have leads, but the public could sense it. So gas stations started putting up uh, huge tarps hanging over the gas pump. So customers weren't in sight of the shooter. Just wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Those pictures are crazy of it. Too. I know. It just doesn't seem real like that. That's what's happening. And everyone's walking around zigzagging and shit, you know. Just got to get drunk and you just naturally do that, right? <laughs> Wobbling all over the place. I'd never be able to shoot you walking home. Well, when I stop for my piss break. (laughs) That's right. Clear target at that point. (laughs) Around 9.30 a.m. on October 11th, 53-year-old businessman Kenneth Bridges was shot while pumping gas at an Exxon gas station off I-95 in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. When Kenneth was shot and killed, there was a police officer nearby that responded within minutes But just like all the other shootings, there was no sign of the shooter. All authorities got were eyewitness accounts of a white Chevy Astro van with a ladder rack on top, which, like we just said, it's not accurate. Is this the one where the police set up a roadblock real quick and they actually pulled into uh, was like a Bob Evans parking lot across the street and one of the police officers stopped them and was talking to Muhammad? And like ran his stuff and all, but they were looking for a white truck and he didn't really raise enough suspicion. So they let him go. Gosh. Yeah, they had him. And like years later, they interviewed the cop and he, you know, he started crying in his interview because he had him and that'd be tough. Yeah. Let him go. What, you, what can he do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not his fault, but maybe if they would have listened to that blue caprice tip from the cops in D.C. Well, I mean, but now you're getting that's multiple things now. I mean, it adds up. Like I mean, if, eventually, like you got that tip. Now you, you stop these two guys. You didn't really necessarily have a reason or, you know, any reason to think it was them at the time. 
Well, Malvo was in the trunk still when he stopped them, so it was just him. So he didn't see two guys even. Uh-uh. But I'm Which, saying maybe I mean, if they, they would have even know it was two guys, really. No. Uh-uh. I'm saying maybe if they would have, you know, accepted that as a legitimate tip, the blue caprice. Oh, maybe everything. it would have been on the radar or somewhere. Everything, yeah. On October 14th at around 9:18 p.m., 47-year-old Linda Franklin, who at the time was working as an FBI intelligence analyst, was walking out of a Home Depot in Fairfax, Virginia, holding hands and joking with her husband William when she was shot in the head. Investigators were hopeful because this time they had an eyewitness who said that he saw the shooter take the shot from an enclosed parking lot. This eyewitness was a Home Depot employee, Matthew Dowdy, and he was really specific. He said the shooter was a, quote, light-skinned man with dark hair and a mustache. He said the shooter was wearing a denim jacket, bent down, and pulled out an AK-47 rifle, which he said it was for sure an AK-47, took the shot and then drove away in a cream colored van with a burned out tail light and had a ladder rack on top. Very specific. Extremely specific. Investigators made this public really quick to be on the lookout for this van. But as we know, John and Lee were in a blue caprice. When investigators watched the Home Depot surveillance camera footage, they found that the Franklins left the store at 917 PM and the first 911 call came in at 919 PM. The camera showed that Matthew Dowdy was still inside the store at 9.21 p.m. when customers that were in the parking lot ran back into the store panicking. Matthew Dowdy was charged and convicted of interfering with an investigation. Clown. Did he ever give a reason as to why? Like, was he just trying to make himself Mm -hmm. famous, get on TV? People just want to insert themselves, right? Yeah, I read a news article about his sentencing, and it said the whole time he just sat there quiet, didn't mm-hmm. didn't talk at all. His lawyer just a talked dipshit. Him. Yeah. The nine one one call that Linda Franklin's husband made is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Why would you listen to it? it wasn't a documentary. Oh, oh, they fooled you. It was awful. That is and the cop. Something. The cop explained like it went in the side of her head and came out her eye and took off a quarter of the front of her head. And like, hey, he was standing right there. They, uh, they were holding hands, so yeah. her half of her head basically hit the side Blew of off. his head. Yeah. yeah, while he's holding hands Just, with her. He cries. Like you hear, you've heard people cry before and yourself cry, whatever. There's something about the way he cries and like yeah. the sound. It's like not a natural I, type I, of crying. I it's, couldn't even begin to imagine. It is unimaginable to be in that position. All of these people are just doing, I mean, I guess every victim we've ever talked about, you know, has their, their lives that they're living, but this is just so fucking random and quick. Yeah. Like the Kenneth Bridges that we talked about earlier, he was just coming through. He wasn't even from this area. He just needed to get gas. And his friend called him and said, stay, you know, try and keep driving, but he really needed gas. He's like, I'll, I'll take my chances. I'll be all right. Nope. And part of this is because there's eyewitnesses around, so you know exactly what happened, whereas, you know, like serial killers and whatnot, you find the body later, and you don't have that kind of firsthand knowledge of what exactly took place. Yeah. And people see this whole thing. And we talked about, how, like, how the public could sense that the police had no leads to really go off of, and that was the whole point of this. Lee Malvo brings that up a lot, that this was to show people that the police cannot protect you. You're not safe. Right. You could tell those press conferences, they're kind of not exactly deer in the headlight kind of thing, but you can tell they're dumbfounded and don't really know what to do. 
Five days later, on October 19th at 8 p.m., 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was in a Ponderosa parking lot in Ashland, Virginia, when he was shot. His wife, Stephanie, was able to get the attention of people passing by, who then called 911, and Jeffrey was rushed to the hospital. He ended up surviving, and again, the investigators found the area where the shot came from. This was a wooded area a little over 100 yards away, and this time there was a four-page note left behind. At least they got him when he was coming out. Got to have that delicious Ponderosa meal. Not is that what it said? He was coming out because yeah. I was going to make a joke about how if he went did it while he was going in, they did him a favor. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and the guy survived. He was actually joking with his wife. Well, then so we can the make ambulance. We so can make a light out of it. Yeah, save him from that shitty beef jerky steak. I love Ponderosa. Yeah, that guy was in really good spirits for just getting shot. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause he Him survived. And, I mean, I probably would be too. Like they were cracking jokes yeah, like, sitting there though. No, in the parking lot, like he's bleeding and he's cracking jokes with the nine one one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much the steaks that was good at Ponderosa. It was the big buffet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ponderosa or uh, buffet pizza and buffet chicken wings. I always have time for they're delicious. Don't you get that at like Chinese food? Well, I mean, that's not like I will. I will take get them at like on my fourth plate. Like you have the Chinese food first. Right. But yeah, you always got to make room for the pizza and the chicken wings. I've legit never met anyone that eats the American food at those. Yeah, hey, you always wonder. Like, I wonder who eats this shit. There well, you go. The, <laughs> place, the place we went to in Parma is literally the worst Chinese food I've ever had in my life. It is so bad. The sushi is the only thing that's good, but it's still buffet sushi. It's not, you know, it's not great. And the, the Chinese food is so bad that you got to make up for it somehow. Why did you go to this place? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> it was there. The pizza was good, though. Well, all buffet pizza and chicken. It's all the same stuff. Like it's, yeah. it's fucking glorified frozen pizza <laughs> and probably frozen chicken wings. They just thaw out and throw in an oven for a little bit. <laughs> but hey, I love how this turned to me, even though Dave was the one who just said he loves fucking Ponderosa's buffet, <laughs> which is still the same stuff I just said I liked. I'm not suggesting Maybe what the meatloaf. You like their meatloaf and their mac and suggesting cheese. Suggesting It's a gourmet meal. I'm saying like back in high school and stuff, we used to go there for the buffet. You could have went to Speedway and got a much better meal for half price. Dollar twenty-five cheeseburger, two hot dogs for three bucks. Been set. Grab a Mountain Dew. Gross. Whatever you drinking. I don't know what you drink in high school. I drink beer. <laughs> Grab a beer. Grab a beer. <laughs> Grab yourself a case of Budweiser and drink a or eat a hot dog and you're good to go. Yeah. All right. Still. Ponderosa, Ponderosa. Ponderosa doesn't serve booze, do they? Did they serve booze? Hmm. Not back then. Well, I even do they even exist now? There's a couple. I was at one in Orlando, I don't know, a while back. I don't recall the alcohol. That's like the opposite of like a low key brag. Like I was in Orlando <laughs> on vacation. Hey, that Ponderosa. <laughs> I was just saying we ran across one down there like, let's go check out Ponderosa. It's been twenty years. I think there's one in Columbus, actually. On High Street. I used to be anyway. The other thing that, that that Chinese buffet used to have was really good uh, Superman ice cream. They didn't have soft serve. Mm. They just had like literally like when the you tubs. go to an ice cream shop, you open it and you have the tubs. Right. It's like every kid's dream, yeah. except I was a grown adult. But <laughs> I would get the Superman ice cream. It was so good. 
Except that all those hillbillies that eat there were taking a shit 10 minutes before and didn't wash their hands and they were getting <laughs> oh. scoops out of well, there. In all fairness, that's every buffet. I just assume. <laughs> I mean, you know what you're going into, right? Like it's, it's infested with germs yeah. and shit and spit and people hanging over the thing and, you know, picking food up and dropping it back down. And my buffet days are long behind me. These conversations. You just went to Ponderosa in Orlando, you said. It was like 10 years ago. Oh, you didn't make it seem like it was that long ago. Oh, yeah. A a long time ago. Yeah, I I haven't had a buffet in at least six years, I guess. Yeah, I'm done with those. I can't remember the last time. I usually always stay away from buffets. Okay. Well, that's that. (laughs) So this guy was shot in a Ponderosa parking lot. Had Had a good time with his wife. Laughed about it. Survived survived first good news we've had yet tonight yeah then we get a four-page note so the first page of this note had five little star stickers like the same kind you get like back in the day on your schoolwork Mm. when you're in like grade school and the same lines as the tarot card said for you mr police call me god do not release to the press the letter went on to say do not release to the press we have tried to contact you to start negotiation but the incompetence of your forces in one Montgomery police officer redacted. A lot of the stuff is, is blacked out redacted at redacted Friday. What they're saying is they contacted a police officer in Montgomery and on a certain date, but that police officer didn't do anything about it. Right. The redacted were just the dates and the names of the officer. And, and in all fairness, we'll talk about it. They play some audio clips of, the police officers taking these phone calls and uh, I think it goes a little along the lines of that. There's thousands of calls coming in. Like you brought up. Yeah. We can't sit there and take every one of them yeah. seriously. Because they're probably getting a ton of prank calls or just ridiculous, oh, yeah. you know, calls of people like wanting to be famous or just drunk assholes or whatever. It almost seemed like they expected them to be like, Oh my God. Yeah. Let's, we're going to take you real seriously when the cops like, okay, if you're the sniper, turn yourself in, yeah, right. come turn yourself in then. Yeah. Prove it. Prove it to us. Yeah. Promise we won't do anything. Just show up. We want to see it. You. <laughs> we won't do anything <laughs> Two Rockville police department, female officer at redacted three task force, FBI, female redacted. And they put four times, which means that they called four times, uh, four, priest at Ashland five Washington DC at redacted. These people took our calls for a hoax or joke. So your failure to respond has cost you five lives. So they called a priest. Yeah. They're always honest. How can they get by on this? Like that, how they wouldn't just let that go. Right. You wouldn't think they report everything. Well, they were probably fucking little kid and they didn't have time. <laughs> probably went to voicemail. <laughs> Goddamn, <pal>. Shoot. <laughs> If stopping the killing is more important than catching us now, then you will need to accept our demands, which are non-negotiable. All this bank account information has been redacted. Uh, One, you place $10 million in Bank of America account number, PIN number, expiration date, name, member since, platinum visa account. We will have unlimited withdrawal at any ATM worldwide. Literally every <laughs> bank in the world had a $200 ATM limit back yeah. then. And it's like a 500 now. Today. What are you even talking about? Right. That's his, that's the same thing as Israel keys. He just like thought right. that he could just withdraw all this money. The FBI controls that though. Dave, they the, could the, just the banking system. Yeah, they can up, override they'll yeah. up it on the ATM <laughs> clipboard. They have 
thousand bucks, you know, or unlimited for this account number. So dumb. You will activate the bank account, credit card, and PIN number. We will contact you at Ponderosa Buffet. (laughs) (laughs) This has been so much Ponderosa talk the past couple weeks. (laughs) Did we talk about them last week, too? We've talked about them multiple times. I think so. This guy fucking loves them. And Twilight and Ponderosa have been like the running themes lately. (laughs) Twilight. I'm going to be in Columbus next week. I think I'm going to see if Ponderosa is still there. I'll send you pics. You gotta if you don't post a photo on your Instagram of you in front of a Ponderosa or oh, elbow deep in the buffet, <laughs> then I don't think it actually counts as you being there. With my seven dollar top sirloin, <laughs> cooked medium well. It's like the same meat that they use to sell the frozen Philly cheesesteak things at the grocery store. <laughs> Steakums, I believe it's called Steakums. Steakums. It's the same thing. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, they said um, we will contact you at Ponderosa Buffet telephone number, which that number is redacted. 6 a.m. Sunday morning. You have until 9 a.m. Monday morning to complete transaction. Try to catch us withdrawing. At least you will have less body bags. But if trying to catch us not more important than prepare your body bags. If we give you our word, that is what takes place. Word is bond. P.S. Your children are not safe anywhere at any time. I don't understand why they're calling him at Ponderosa. And they did. There's there's audio <laughs> tape of Lee Malvo calling Ponderosa. At 6 a.m., the fucking manager's like, hey, buddy, we don't open until 11 o'clock. What the fuck you want me to do? He's like, what are you talking about? This is Ponderosa. You know what's crazy is that they had all the... Uh, like all the phone lines were bugged, right? And they had yeah. they had all this set up so that they wouldn't miss the call. There's a lot of fucking people that call Ponderosa. That's right. <laughs> Wait, is Ponderosa really open at 6 a.m. that people are calling? They must have been because there were so many people. They had like, oh, yeah, you've, you know, hi, this is Ponderosa, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden. Hey, uh, what, what are your hours? <laughs> what do you got on the buffet today? Y'all serving breakfast there now. <laughs> then all of a sudden you hear it. And it's like it's Lee Malvo. And they're like, okay, and hit the whatever but so yeah. straight i don't understand that's the first thing i thought of when i was watching the documentary I'm like there are a lot of fucking people calling ponderosa right now what kind of steaks you got up there <laughs> you bring them back those scalloped potatoes anytime soon because they made them last month and man margie made a damn good scalloped potato <laughs> meanwhile soft service still what chocolate vanilla yeah. Was not all it was. I think there was a mix one too. Well, yeah. Well, of course. Oh, you gotta have a twist. You gotta get the twist every time. <laughs> Who the fuck ordered just one? Oh, I do. I only get vanilla, and that's it. Oh man, I don't like chocolate ice cream. That's the most absurd food take that's ever been had on this show. <laughs> <laughs> your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, keeping food on your table, or even paying the bills. Your mental health is one area that you shouldn't have to worry about. Whether life currently has you down or things are going well, but you're still feeling unfulfilled, we're all experiencing our own form of strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. And the best part, there's no waiting rooms. That's pretty huge, especially if you're as impatient as I am. 
BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with the counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own home. So whether you struggle with trauma, depression, LGBT matters, grief, anxiety, or even self-esteem, BetterHelp counselors have a broad range of expertise and their licensed professional counselors are waiting to assist you. BetterHelp is available worldwide. In fact, so many people have recently been signing up for BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Once you get started, if at any time you're unhappy with your counselor, there's no need to worry. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors. BetterHelp respects you and your privacy, so everything you share with your counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help that you deserve. They even offer financial aid for those who qualify. If you'd like to hear how BetterHelp has assisted people just like you, check out the testimonials posted on their website every day. We here at Necronomapod want you to be living happy and healthy. So, as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Necro. Going back through the tip line, the FBI were able to confirm some of these calls Lee Malvo made to the operators. Specifically one on October 17th, when a caller claiming to be the sniper said that he was responsible for the murder of two women during a robbery of a liquor store in Montgomery, Alabama, a month earlier. This is accurate. We talked about this on part one, uh, but only one of the women died. Lee Malvo and John Muhammad were under the impression that both women were killed. Authorities had no idea. They didn't connect that in any way to this. Who would, you know. That like was, how that was the you, point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the robberies they committed. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Like just countless robberies. Who knows if they took shots or shot other people. Sure. And you would never know. On Monday morning, October 21st, investigators got a phone call from a payphone at a gas station in Henrico County, Virginia. They traced the call and missed Lee Malvo by just a couple minutes. However, they were still working on that tip that the suspects were in a white van or truck. And because that's a pretty common vehicle, like we've been talking about this whole episode, there was a white van by that gas station. The two men in that van were detained and found not to have anything to do with the shooting, but they were illegal immigrants. These two guys were thrown through the ringer, cavity surged, all kind of shit, and then deported. That's pretty traumatic. Probably wrecked them for the whole day. <laughs> man, oh man. <laughs> like, what do they think? They had a sniper rifle up their ass? Why is that necessary? Cavity searched. Yeah, it's like... Holes is holes, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> These guys had nothing to do with that, but then it's like, oh, well, while we've got you here. Yeah, that's such a broad thing with the white van. Oh, take this opportunity to cavity search you. Every painter in the country right. was like, that's what I'm Fuck. saying. Yeah. I'm walking to work today. I'll carry my paint cans. Yeah. Like if I drove a white van, I'd be like, I'm, yeah. I'm staying home. I'm not coming into work. You're out there spray painting your van black. Then I stay right. <laughs> like the A-team fan. Like <laughs> the red stripe on it so they don't get pulled over. 
we already talked about that $10 million demand was just absolute nonsense with the whole ATM thing. So on October 22nd, 35 year old Conrad Johnson, who was working his job as an RTA bus driver was shot at 5:56 AM while standing on the steps of his bus. This happened in Aspen Hill, Maryland. And at this point, chief moose told the public about the letter but only the part that said your children are not safe anywhere at any time. And people were not happy with Charles Moose over that. With the delay. Yeah, they felt that yeah. the fact that it said children aren't safe, that yep. the police should have said that right away. Over the weekend of October 19th, a guy named Robert Holmes from Tacoma, Washington, called a tip into the FBI. The first time he called, his report got lost in the thousands that were coming in daily but he knew in his gut that the DC sniper was a friend of his. So he called back a second time. The second time he called, he got an actual agent. The first time it went to an automated thing. Robert told the FBI that the DC sniper sure sounds like his old friend, John Muhammad. How does that work? You think like you call the FBI, sometimes it's automated. Sometimes like an agent just picks up and is like FBI, how can I help you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think in this case it was, I think you can just get get a hold of somebody like a local like press one if you have a tip press two if you're legit and have a credible tip <laughs> right yeah so you press can, three if you're here to fuck around <laughs> and find out <laughs> if you're the sniper east of the mississippi press four yeah press four <laughs> to speak to a representative press pound <laughs> Robert told the FBI that his friend John's life started to fall apart after he lost custody of his kids. He also told them that he was a marksman shooter, but one detail that solidified it for him was when Robert saw in the news that authorities at this point were thinking that two people were involved. Robert told the FBI that John came back from Antigua with a kid named Lee Malvo. Robert said that he and everyone thought it was odd how Lee was just all of a sudden like John's son and that John treated Lee like he was a soldier. The last thing that Robert told them was that John took Lee to the shooting range all the time, but that there was also an old tree stump that they used to use for target practice. And John used a Bushmaster rifle. Mm. The day after Conrad Johnson was shot and killed, the FBI went to Tacoma and took that whole tree stump that Robert had told them about. He just dug, they just dug it up and took it to a forensic lab. Like we said a little bit ago, Lee Malvo called on October 17th and told the tip line about the shooting in Montgomery, Alabama. The FBI reached out to the police in Alabama and learned that there was some potential evidence from that shooting. The thing with that tree stump is someone leaked that. So there was helicopters. They were trying to do it uh, on the down low there in his backyard. Helicopters over like broadcasting everything. So if you're the guy that called in a tip, you're like that motherfucker's watching. He knows exactly yeah. what they're doing here now, and he right. knows I dropped a dime on him, and is he going to come back and smoke me? So that's pretty scary. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Can a case not be made with helicopters and media and all that, that that you're interfering with a police investigation? I understand there's freedom of press. I get that. But at some point, you are actually interfering with an investigation that, if you delay, is going may cost lives. I think in this case, the leaking of the tarot card and then this... Leak definitely interfered with an investigation. Sure. Definitely the person making the leak should sure. be held accountable. I'm just wondering at what point do you, you know, do you hold the media accountable a little bit? I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. I'm yeah, not saying there's an answer, but you know, when they're trying to actually catch this killer who's threatening to kill your kids, yeah. 
now you might be slowing this whole process down and there's more bodies now. I don't know. That may be true. I don't know what, what you could do about it, I guess. I think it's just an ethical thing. Right. But then I'm, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. I the next news station isn't going to have those same ethics and they're going to get, they're going to do it. Right. That's why. They, and then, right. so then they're all out there. Yeah. yeah. And you know, those organizations figured out with OJ yeah. how much money can be made breaking news first. And yeah. Li- sure. You know, live streaming it for getting a live feed from a helicopter. And like, if you go back 50 years ago, you'll hear stories about, you know, like the, or the White House press pool and they ask them for national security reasons not to publish this. And they all complied because it was right. for the good of the country. You don't see anything like that anymore. Or you go back to like, you know, there was never photographs of FDR in a wheelchair. Exactly. Know? Right. A lot of uh, half the country didn't know he was suffering from polio and in a wheelchair like that would never. They didn't happen, huh? know that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nowadays they they'd be, you know, salivating at the chance sure. to do that. Yeah, different times. They should have had just one of the cops shine a laser pan up at that helicopter. Those red dots in the pilot's <laughs> eyes. I'd have taken care of them. <laughs> Boom, done. <laughs> I was here how dangerous it is with the pilots coming in. So I made them fly off. Are laser pens still a thing? People still use those? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I was like, I was watching wrestling the other night. It was a 1999 one. And uh, the laser pointers were out in full force, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just shining them on everybody. Yeah. I remember seeing a video on YouTube a while back. It was Kiss was doing a concert. And Paul Stanley, someone kept shining a laser pointer. <laughs> he stopped the song and then told the guy, I'll come down there and shove that pen up your ass. And like the whole crowd went nuts. And I'm like, I would love to see Paul Stanley in his seven inch heels, jump off stage, catch this guy and shove a laser pen out of his ass. Fantastic. I picture like the, the laser coming out the guy's mouth. <laughs> An agent from the Mobile office gathered that evidence and flew to Washington, D.C., arriving Monday evening, October 21st. While the ATF handled the ballistic evidence, the FBI took the fingerprint evidence to their lab. The following morning, the fingerprint database hit a match. A magazine that was dropped at the crime scene in Alabama were the fingerprints of Lee Boyd Malvo from a previous arrest in Washington state that whole immigration thing that he got picked up for. Yeah. And the, the border agent said that they don't normally fingerprint minors, but for whatever reason they did that time. Lucky. Yep. And it wasn't just a regular magazine, right? It was the manual for the, for the rifle. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's not a good thing to drop there. Whoopsie doodles. Mm-hmm. The arrest record showed the stuff we talked about in part one with that immigration issue that Lee was taken in by border patrol and then bailed out by John Muhammad. John's name was on that documentation confirming what Robert Holmes was telling the FBI that it was true about John and Lee's relationship. The ATF found out that John Muhammad had a Bushmaster rifle in his possession. This gets a little weird with gun laws. Um, So at the time in the state of Washington, it wasn't illegal to buy a gun for someone if it avoided a background check. So you could essentially just, I, you can go buy some, uh, someone who would be disqualified from owning a gun. I could go in and buy them a gun or buy a gun and then just give it to them. But they wouldn't only do a background check on me. Correct. And if I'm clean, then I can come out and give you the gun, even though you might have a past that disqualified you from owning a gun. Right. It sounds right. like in Ohio, there's no background check requirement on private firearm sales i think if you're a convicted felon you're still 
not legally allowed to possess that gun, but the person I think that sold, well, I think that's it, what we're sold it to you is not going to get in trouble. Yeah, right. Statewide. Sure. That's what I was confused by because, sure. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. I don't know anything about guns, and I don't know much about gun laws. So I was trying to read because I didn't understand some of this. But that federal gun laws are just like a, a base that is laid for the states. The states kind of do their own thing. So Washington has changed that, but the state's not going to prosecute any of that stuff. And in reality, it's highly unlikely that anyone was going to turn Dancy Jr. into the FBI or ATF for it. So things like this go unnoticed. Until something like this happens. <laughs> yeah. Fancy pants Dancy's out of luck. Cause hmm. Hmm. What went wrong here? <laughs> what went wrong? I have a question though. I thought the the rifle that they were using was the one they stole off the counter from the gun shop. Or was that a different gun? Right, but they gave Dancy Jr. They were uh, in possession of that forty five. So we're talking about the forty five, right? Okay. And they did. Then they used the forty five to kill people on that. Um, okay. Oops, sorry on that uh what they called their practice murders right but the the bushmaster was the one they stole right right okay bushmaster sitting across from you dave (laughs) (laughs) indeed he is (laughs) indeed he is the fbi had their probable cause for lee malvo because of the fingerprints probable cause for dancy jr for purchasing that gun for john Uh, but they still needed something beyond the tip from robert holmes so that, just like Mike's girlfriends, the tip, it's not enough. <laughs> Never be enough. Come on. You always want more. <laughs> That's when the ATF found out that John had a restraining order against him filed by his ex-wife, Mildred Green. In Washington, if you have a restraining order filed against you and it's current, you cannot own or buy a new gun. You can't go in to a gun store and buy a gun. But then you scroll down a little bit more and you see gun show. Mm-hmm. And then it says there are no regulations on law. So it's a big gaping loophole. Yeah. Just like anal virgins, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like gun shows are the equivalent of a WWE no holds barred match. Yeah. We have gun shows over here at the uh, fairgrounds, probably literally two miles week. from where we are recording right now. It's packed every weekend. I'm like, what are I these know. people it doing? It fucking holds here? me up when I'm going to lunch and trying to get a fucking burrito <laughs> and I got to sit in line while all these people make left hand turns to go fucking buy guns. I Look, just want a goddamn burrito. <laughs> I'm all for responsible people having their rights and everything. Absolutely. There seems like there's some issues here. <laughs> <laughs> That is the most polite way of saying things. I agree. Like, I'm not trying Seems to shit like on gun owners. Like, I, I, I think it's fantastic when people, you know, are responsible gun owners and, you know. But there's some people that shouldn't have guns. I mean, bottom line. Agreed. It just popped in my head, too, when you said that um, gun shows are like a WWE free for all. Like, no holds barred. No match. holds barred. Yes. Like it made me think back to Oklahoma City, where Timothy McVeigh traded uh, an NRA T-shirt for a live grenade. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus, what, what like, like that's what I'm saying. Where it just needs cleaned up a little bit. It's the barter system. You walk in. <laughs> well, to be fair, I don't think 
grenades are legal, so still it happened. I, it did happen well. in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Little oversight, at least maybe. What can we trade Stone Cold Beef Austin for? Do you think? <laughs> He's got to be worth what? An assault rifle at least. <laughs> Absolutely. He's famous. Take, Most famous beaver in the world. Take him up to the gun show. See what you can get for him. <laughs> Hello, sir. <laughs> I see your rifle and I trade you one beaver. <laughs> what? Not just any beaver. What? I said not just any beaver. What? The official mascot of Necronomapod. What? Stone Cold Beave Austin. And then I just hit the guy with a stunner and I walk away with the beaver anyways. Regardless of how John got the gun, the FBI had the ability to charge him with federal weapons violations just because that he owned or that he had a gun in his possession with an active restraining order filed against him. On October 22nd, the FBI searched their criminal records database and found that John Muhammad had registered a blue Chevy Caprice with the license plate NDA-21Z in New Jersey. And with that, the media distributed their pictures and the car they were driving everywhere. All of this came to an end at 3.15 a.m. on October 24th, 2002, when John Muhammad and Lee Malvo were found sleeping in their car at a rest stop off of I-70 near Myersville, Maryland, and they were arrested on federal weapons charges. Police were tipped off by Whitney Donahue, who noticed the parked car. State Trooper Wayne Smith from the Maryland State Police was the first one to arrive at the scene and immediately used his uh his unmarked police vehicle to block off the exit by angling the car sideways between two parked tractor trailers as more troops arrived they effectively sealed off the rest area at both entrance and exit ramps without john or lee noticing with all the escape routes sealed off the swat team officers moved in and arrested both john and lee without incident and it's it's crazy that they were both sleeping and they they weren't monitoring the news, so they had no idea they had been made and they were looking for them. Like, that's not a great plan when you're out uh, doing crimes. Yeah, and I don't know if my outline like expressed it enough, but this is all over a weekend, you know, just like a four day period. Yeah. The FBI, between finding that note and everything, like the FBI and the ATF pieced this together real quick. Oh, yeah. Just snoozing away. Yeah, like they should, you know, one person should be up, one person should be sleeping. I don't, very, uh, maybe the arrogance, the arrogance, right? Yeah. You get comfortable. I, I think that's exactly right. What they found in the Chevy Caprice was the Bushmaster rifle that had been used in each attack, a rifle scope for taking aim, and a tripod to steady the shots. Um, the back seat had the sheet metal removed between the passenger compartment and the trunk enabling a shooter to get into the trunk from inside the car. The Chevy Caprice owner manual with written impressions of one of the demand letters, like they sent it away to their forensics lab and they could tell that whoever wrote that letter was using the owner's manual as like a rest. A digital voice recorder used by both Lee Malvo and John Muhammad to make extortion demands. 
a laptop stolen from Paula Rufa containing maps of the shooting sites and getaway routes from some of the crime scenes. Doesn't seem great to keep all that evidence in your car with you. Just cruising around. <laughs> Did they have like a, a home base to like drop stuff off and that they would like rest up at or were they just like living out of the car? Just living out of the car. That that? YMCA, right? Yeah. Just showering at the YMCA. They would still do the YMCA. So yeah, they couldn't drop anything off anymore. Yeah. But they slept in the car. That's great. There was a guy interview with someone that was always at the YMCA. He said, he's like, I don't think that they're allowed to just sleep in the parking mm. lot like that, but I guess I'm just going to let it go. Mm. Ballistics also confirmed that the bullets pulled from victims matched the ballistics uh, fired into that stump. The FBI pulled out of the ground in Tacoma. Investigators in the prosecution said during pretrial motions that John's main goal was to kill his second ex-wife, Mildred. According to this theory, the other shootings were to cover up the motive for Mildred being killed. John believed that the police would not focus on an ex-husband as a suspect if Mildred appeared to just be a random victim of the D.C. sniper. So here's where we get into maybe that story he told Lee was just BS, all of it. The whole thing with Mildred, that all starts in Tacoma, Washington. But to get away from him after she left uh, the women's shelters and stuff, she came out to the D.C. area. So she's living in this area. He essentially followed her. Right. You could argue that the whole path of crimes and stuff, the whole pra- all the practice stuff, follows a direct line of Mildred's. Uh, footsteps across the country but what about like his behavior in the military and kind of that like radicalism type stuff like that kind of speaks to what we know as his phases and his plan as well yeah true. or was it just kind of twofold you know he's like i'm gonna do this and it's also gonna be my way to get her maybe i mean and when it came down to it he, you know he, he it wasn't just all white people he was killing so it didn't seem to matter yeah targets of opportunity During the attacks, John lurked around the neighborhood where Mildred lived. However, Judge Leroy Millette stopped prosecutors from presenting that theory during trial, saying that a link could not be firmly established. While in prison, Lee wrote a bunch of mini manifestos about what he called, quote, jihad against the United States. He also said, quote, I have been accused on my mission. Allah knows I'm going to suffer now. Because his rants and drawings of Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein, and at the same time they had characters from The Matrix, the manifestos were not taken seriously, and any connection with the terrorist group was ruled out. I don't know. The Matrix terrorized my eyes. (laughs) Jeez. There's so many different hearings and trials that happened between John and Lee that we'd be here forever doing episodes on it. They were both found guilty with John receiving a sentence of death and Lee receiving life in prison without parole. Lee's conviction was changed to him being allowed a chance at parole in 2022 because he was a minor at the time of the murders. But Dave, you told brought up that that's just in one state. Yeah. In Virginia, they changed it. So he's eligible for parole, but they're still fighting to get the uh, no parole thing thrown out in Maryland. It's actually going to trial in a couple weeks. So, to see what happens <laughs> i think it's safe to say he's probably gonna just stay where he's at yeah i think that's probably right i think it was interesting like the attorney general the was it john ashcroft back then decided that he would 
they would initially be tried in Virginia because that was where they had the best bet getting the death penalty. Really? Yeah. Lee also got married in prison on March 10th, 2020. It's some, uh, I was reading about (laughs) It's some like rich family. She's a trust fund baby. She's like 30 years old, some sort of social justice activist, like a real estate developer family from Iowa. So I'm I'm sure they're real happy that their daughter grew up to marry Lee Boyd Malvo. And she's a social justice activist. Yeah. What, what's her angle here? I don't know. Just fighting a losing battle. That's what she's doing. Okay. The whole marrying, marrying inmates that are doing life is just, it's very interesting. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand. How do you even meet? Like you just start writing this guy letters. Yeah. Probably. He says, come on down on this date. I get my commissary. I'll buy you some ramen and a Hershey bar or something. <laughs> That's how um, Damien Eccles met his wife. That's he, a good point. She wrote him a letter. She saw one of the documentaries, wrote him a letter. Yeah. They got fairness, married. Damien Eccles wasn't a murderer. This is also true. Like conjugal visits are pretty much gone, right? Are there any states left to do that? I, I don't know. Wonder. You don't hear much about it. You don't. They hush, hush <clears throat> that. That's crazy. It's interesting what kind of life uh, people choose to lead sometimes. Okay. Well, so uh, Lee Malville found love. He did. Good for him. On November 10th, 2009, John Muhammad declined to make a final statement and his execution began at 9 p.m. at the Greensville Correctional Center in Greensville County, Virginia. According to the official statement by the prison spokesperson, the actual lethal injection process started at 9.06 p.m. and he was pronounced dead at 9.11 p.m. John Muhammad's body was cremated and the ashes were given to his son in Louisiana. He didn't make a final statement. What, do we know like what his attitude was through all this? Was he just like an arrogant, cocky, stoic I'm not saying anything. I did what I did hmm. and I believe in it. Or, yeah. There was no, um, no remorse about any of this. No. I got the final meal here. Do you chicken and red sauce and some cakes? What's that mean? I have no idea. I what thought zebra red, cakes. That's what is, what, well, that would be all right. Yeah. That's, that's what popped into my <laughs> head. Oh, that's good call. What's red sauce? Like, what does that mean? Like, like chicken and red, like spaghetti sauce or marinara. Oh, it's kind of weak, weak wow. sauce. That's what that is. <laughs> Not the best last meal we've ever heard. Now, if it was zebra cakes, that bumps it up a little bit. I would go to town on zebra mm. cakes and those Christmas tree ones. Oh yeah, all the white, sure. all the white, the white cake with the white frosting stuff. Those are uh, those are single serving boxes for sure. You know what? I, I, yeah, they, can be. <laughs> they very much can be. Yes. The other interesting thing I read is that there was a, a typo on his headstone. They said it was a grave mistake. <laughs> was there a for real typo? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course not. Ian. He's over here cracking up before he even said the damn joke. <laughs> what is it from a Curb Your Enthusiasm? Passed away. P-A-S-T. <laughs> His dad's like, oh, what was it? Like 75 bucks a letter or something. <laughs> beloved cunt (laughs) and just to wrap up on bullseye shooter supply where the gun came from and earl dancy jr 
In July of 2003, the ATF revoked the federal firearms license of Brian Borgelt, the owner of Bullseye Shooter Supply. If we remember, there were two, I think it was 238 guns were missing. Unaccounted for. Couldn't figure it out. Uh, Later that month, he transferred ownership of the gun store to a friend and Brian continued to own the building itself. So nothing changed because Brian Borgelt skirted around gun laws you brought up last week he's on the documentary and he just his attitude is yeah sucks let's just say he's probably a kid rock fan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're, you're you're saying his attitude is oh it sucks this happened but oh well like we we did yeah. what we what we do right it's my right to have a gun it's the right of everybody to have a gun no matter what right period sometimes shit happens that's his attitude yeah as far as Earl Dancy Jr. is concerned, there wasn't a whole thing like the olive skin man in the Oklahoma City bombings like I thought there might be. Dancy Jr. was charged federally for buying Muhammad the gun, and he was facing 10 years in prison, but he ended up getting a year of probation. That'll show him. I think there's that whole <laughs> argument to be made that it's like Washington, the state, does not recognize that law. Mm-hmm. So meet somewhere in the middle. I mean, middle would be like going to jail, not, get, not getting probation. Right. But right. Um, that's the that's the DC sniper. So the postscript on this, which I think is the most interesting part of the whole thing, is that they were this whole time characterizing the relationship with these two as a father son kind of thing, but these two were fucking each other the whole time during this whole story, which is crazy. That is the biggest twist we've ever had in the history of this the show. Yeah. And like he, in his interviews, he's talking about like Lee Malvo. Right. Yeah, you're saying, yeah. Like frenetic, you know, fucking how great it was after killing someone and stuff. Like it's crazy. So they're banging in the car. Yes. He was taking more than one kind of shot in that trunk. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that came out well after, even well after John Muhammad mm. was killed. He started talking about that in 2012. Did, did John Muhammad want it to be kept quiet? And that why Lee waited till afterwards? Or I don't know. And he could be making the whole thing we, up, I did guess. He say how it even started. Or was it just sound like it started from day one, right? Yeah. The news article from, I think it was today reported it in 2012. It sounded like, yeah, he was just right off the bat. He's a pedo. So you're telling me instead of the FBI, if we would have sent Chris Hansen in from the beginning, we would have had this result. <laughs> we would have had this resolved. Fucking <laughs> John Muhammad would have walked into some house in West Palm beach Looking for some kid from, you know, cyber justice or whatever. Boom. Have a seat, pal. You want a <laughs> Why don't you have water? a seat and put the Bushmaster over in the corner? Uh, let's have a chat. Yeah. It would have been salt. That'd have been it. Ball game. <laughs> I That's- see uh, condoms, uh, some pizza you've brought, and a assault rifle. What were your plans here tonight, John? <laughs> no, these are just in my car. Well, let me read you from the script. I'm going to bring some condoms, uh, an assault rifle, some pizza. <laughs> Oh, I had said that. He told me he was 18. <laughs> so uh, that's crazy when I heard yeah, that's, that. Yeah. What is going on here? That's a wild twist. Isn't it? I did not expect this. that. You want to believe all victims, but there's something about the way he talks 
that I'm like, that he, Lee Malvo. Knows? Yeah, Lee Malvo. I'm like, who knows? He could be making that up. He and could, sure. We've been talking about it, I think, all episode. I know we mentioned it last week. What's the name of the documentary you guys watched? I Sniper. I Sniper. We've been referencing it all episodes, so just want to make sure people know it's out there. And obviously, it's Lee Malvo giving his take because we don't, you know, John Muhammad was not a part of it. Yeah. I still detect not really any bit of remorse or sorrow in the guy's voice. It's just matter of factly. You know, talking about taking headshots and do you think that then doing this documentary hurts his case then for parole or like the possibility or anything like that? Like, I mean, they gotta they've mm. gotta look at that, right? And be like, like this guy doesn't I would think seems so. to not give a shit. When I started the documentary, I I had sympathy. I'm like, okay, this is different than I thought. Like he was really groomed into this. He was, you know, broken down systematically by John Muhammad. But then by the end of it or even the middle of it. Like, I'm sick of listening to this fucking guy talk. Exactly. Like, this guy is just the same as any other mm-hmm. murderer we've discussed. There's no remorse here. There's nothing. Interesting. That's it. So we think he's not getting out? Is that the final consensus? I, I don't think so. Yeah. There was a cop that they interviewed that said he believes he would kill again if he ever got out. So he's not buying the story either. It sounds right to me. They're not letting him out. We would hope. I think John probably put him up to this. You know, I think he did groom him into this to some degree. I I think it was just like this crazy twisted plot to end up getting to Mildred. I mean, I'm I'm generally not for locking kids up for their whole life when they commit crimes as a youth. But this is just off pretty intense it's off the chart kind of like you can't let this guy out and especially if this guy is showing still no remorse then you know clearly it's not like you know he's he's traumatized by what he did in the past or you know was groomed some way seems like he's just kind of a piece of shit i cut you off i'm sorry what were you gonna finish i thought you were done i I probably was done he's like i don't know that was like 40 seconds ago (laughs) i don't know i don't even know what i was gonna taste this chicken All right. Patron shout outs. Thank you so much to new patrons. Jamie Kompkoff, Samantha Paltz, Chody Foster, Katie Burrows, Stacy Chowen, Joel Adam, Brian Rios, Cheyenne Mainly, Supreme Solar Overlord, Hayden Durr, The Curry Drop, TH Cities, Chloe Ivy. Naomi Baker, Brianna Ford, Allie Overton, Eric Menical, Robert McEwen, Dion H, Jessica, Shalila Law, Cuntoid, Jonathan, <laughs> Allie Gould, Tyler Hayes, Abby, Teresa Remillard, and Maria. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Thank you all so much. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for CC Rider, 6381, Danny Barr, 15, T-Gun, 201, and Moo Cow, number eight. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave? That T-Gun 201, Ian, I was just reading that review the other day, and it closes the review and says, also, thanks to my mom for sharing you guys with me. So I guess my question is, Shouldn't you return the favor and share <laughs> share your mom with us now? T-Gun 201? <laughs> Boom. <laughs>
We'll wait to hear from you. <laughs> Our lines are open. <laughs> All right. Well, good shit. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod for all of our merch, Necronomapod.com, and Patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you would like to access our bonus content. Thank you all so much. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>